Hello, and welcome to another episode of City on a Hill, a podcast about what it means to be a citizen of heaven and a citizen of the United States. We want to encourage Christians to find their tribe in the church and their hope in the kingdom of God, rather than to seek both in the kingdom of man. So with that, let's get to it today. Well, hello, I'm Eric Estep. And I'm Scott Reevely. And this is the City on a Hill podcast. Hello, Scott. We well, are hi. in the studio, and this is the first time we have a guest in the studio. So why don't you introduce our guest? This is a big guest. deal. This is a big deal. The lights are on. Things are working well. The mics are working. Everything's great. Yeah, you shouldn't say that or you'll jinx it at the beginning, <laughs> but that's okay, because we're excited to have Will Lathrop here. And uh, somehow we got connected, uh, I think even actually through a podcast listener. Uh, this summer, we, we met together, and then this morning had a, a meeting with the chief of police that was really a good one. So uh, Will is uh, going to be running for attorney general in the state of Oregon, and uh why don't you tell us just a little bit about yourself and welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much. It's, it's a pleasure to be here, Scott. Um, well, about me, I'm a sixth generation Oregonian. Oh. Raised in eastern Oregon, far eastern Oregon. My dad's a cattle rancher there in uh, a little town called Joseph, Oregon, or Willowa Lake, um, one of the seven wonders of Oregon, if you didn't know. Oh. Came to the Willamette Valley as a young man and went to Willamette College of Law. And I did, after law school, what every young lawyer dreams of doing, I became a youth pastor. <laughs> Dreads doing, probably. <laughs> that, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, but from there, I, um, I ended up getting a job in Yamhill County as a prosecutor. So if your listeners don't know what prosecutors are, that's, those are the people that um, try to I I represent the, the state in court to prosecute criminals, essentially. Mm -hmm. And I was uh, recruited away again from there to go to Marion County, which is Salem. And there I joined the Special Victims Unit where I prosecuted mostly child sex abuse and, and violent um, sexual Ooh. crimes against children. Mm. Also did homicides and domestic violence and adult sexual assaults and other things as well. But that was my main focus. From there, I was recruited to go to Washington, D.C. Can I just yeah. stop you? Because it's going to get you know bigger and badder here in a minute. Yeah. But how do you just keep from being overwhelmed with that work. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we could have a whole separate po podcast on that. Sure. But um, I I loved youth ministry, but I don't think l l youth ministry loved me. I don't think I was all that talented <laughs> at it. But when I got into to prosecution and I could represent children in court and I, and I, I used mm. those same skills from church to be able to connect and understand with children, I, mm. I felt like that was the first time where God was fully using me in a in a, uh, a way that I could be passionate about and be, you know, unique, uniquely effective at. So um, I don't know if that really, really answers your question, but there, the, I don't know how somebody would go through that without having faith or understanding mm. that okay. there's hope and that, and that there's hope for each child and there's this redemptive power because so much of it was destruction. It was like being a human janitor. You'd put one person in prison and the other person you knew was going to be, be struggling with that, uh, the right. trauma from that for right. decades, years, if not a whole life, lifetime. So I, I think that it's really strengthened my faith and understanding oh. of, of the importance of spiritual renewing hmm. as well as um, counseling or other physical renewing that we okay. so oftenly overemphasize. Yeah, sorry to interrupt you on that, but I just went, as you were just even telling, and I know kind of what's coming, but what you said is like, oh, man, I go home at night exhausted every day. 
So, yeah. Anyway, well, thank you. So continue, please. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, You know, I will say I kind of thought I would do that job for the rest of my life. I thought that was my calling. Um, Okay. (laughs) So it was to the surprise of my wife and I, we felt really pushed and called. Then um, after several, a lot of years of doing that, I went and took a job in Washington, D.C. as a child abuse expert, kind of to work on that at the national level. And that felt like a way to expand the knowledge and the impact that I was already having. Um, And when I was in Washington, D.C., I ran into an organization called International Justice Mission, or IJM, Mm -hmm. which is the world's largest anti-human trafficking organization. Mm -hmm. They asked me, at first I came to volunteer, but it ended up that discussion led them to asking me to lead a team in northern Uganda, which is East Africa. Um, In northern Uganda, they'd had this 21-year civil war. And after Mm -hmm. the civil war, there were all of these widows and orphans from the war and then ex-militants coming back from the war. And so the ex-militants would commonly, not all, but a lot of them would end up pushing the widows and orphans into the bush off of their land that they were, you know, um, raising crops and sort of sustaining themselves on and condemn them to a life of starvation um, and ultimately death. And so we came in with and worked with the government. Well, we would come in and find these widows and orphans in the bush. We'd get them back on their land, legal title, and, and then we would work with police and prosecutors to arrest the violent land grabbers mm. and, and prosecute them in the court of law because we knew they wouldn't stop unless somebody actually put them in jail. They would just go to the next widow or the next widow or the next widow. And there were scores of, after the war that long, there's scores of uh, easy targets and victims. So. Wow. Did that for a few years. Then I was uh, moved to West Africa, to Ghana. And that's where I've been for the last five years. And we, um, I led uh, uh, several offices of multinational law enforcement personnel. To We partnered with the government to rescue child slaves and then prosecute slave traders and masters. And, and I've been doing that for the last five years. So that's my, <laughs> that's my journey. <laughs> okay. Well, what have I been doing the last five years? Well, that's... Uh, um, feels like a very different kind of thing. So what brought you then back to Oregon and gives you interest in the Attorney General slot? Yeah, so I've always had a residence in Oregon. Or most, most of that entire time I've been away, I've, I've had a residence in Oregon, and IJM would fly my wife and my child. We actually had a, a son when we were in Uganda. Um, and we would come back, and I'd spend part of that time in eastern Oregon, Oregon and part of that time in the Willamette Valley, um, talking to old friends and colleagues and family. And to watch the decay of law and order and governance in the Willamette Valley over the last uh, eight, nine years has been quite shocking. I'm sure if you see it from a drip-by-drip drip perspective, maybe you maybe you get used to it. But mm-hmm. to come in on a year-by-year year and just say, like, this is a bad movie. When is this going to stop? When I was... Um, when I was first recruited away to Washington, D.C., Oregon was thought to be on the forefront of victim protection. We were thought to be one of the best. So if you were good here in law enforcement, you were good anywhere. And that's not true anymore. We're almost mocked um, monthly in national magazines and news mm. reports and periodicals about our inability mm. to protect people from violence and, yeah. and, addi- and addiction and almost state-sponsored addiction. And so it got really hard to want to, to you know, pour into other justice systems um, when this is my home, this is where mm. I'm from, and, it, and the justice system seems to be struggling so badly. And so I'm, I was looking at impact, um, praying about what, what my role in that was. Honestly, you guys have probably been there before. I was almost kind of praying like, God, don't send me back there. We're doing really cool work out here. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> but it was always on my heart, but this is not 
it, it was it was heavy on my heart that like this is not right. It got to be hard to sometimes to want to come back and in, into the Willamette Valley and even be in Portland or even come mm-hmm. back here because mm-hmm. if you've been in a position where you've you've been a part of groups that have tried to fix problems like this, if you're Ooh. there and the thing's broken, that that part of you wants like I want to fix this. I want to fix it now. Mm-hmm. I think God planted a seed. We prayed about it for. You know, probably a year and a half, and ultimately I landed on Attorney General was the place that most needed change that I mm. thought I would be be most effective, and that's why I'm here. Okay, so it's particularly poignant. You're, you're talking about being in other countries and engaging really intense justice issues, and then coming to Oregon and pointing out, oh, it's broken, and you're you have you have the observation ability that we don't have. Right. <laughs> We're not in those type of situations. Um, so, what about Oregon? Uh, what unique challenges? Uh, in regards to justice, does Oregon face that you're you're observing? Well, there's there's probably several. Um, one of the things is it um, we I think there's a, I, I think there's been a failure of leadership to call out the truth of the matters in front of us. Um, what we disguise as compassion or love for other people is mm. sort of just dependency and pity. Um, mm. And we don't love, you know, like you love, I love my son enough to hold him accountable when he wants to cross the street without looking both ways. Cause I love mm. him so much. I don't want to see him get hit by a car. Love isn't uh, watching him, cheering him on while he goes across the street and then picking up his bones after he gets hit by the car, which is how I would kind of describe the way Oregon's government has worked um, when it comes to addiction and homelessness and crime. And if you work in my industry, you know that in every addicted household or children that grow up on the street, the statistics for them to be sexually exploited, um, abused in almost every way, and neglected in almost every way goes through the roof. I mean, mm. it's it's almost unimaginable that they won't be abused, neglected, and and exploited in their in their childhood. And so, when we overfocus on the the needs or the rights of somebody who's addicted, or the needs or the rights of somebody who's homeless, and we sort of ignore all of the victimization and all of the terror that everybody else is gonna is gonna face, it's just a failure of leadership to 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 try to provide an environment that's healthy and thriving for all people. Um, and I don't know if I'm answering the question well, but but what, when I see the the major issues in front of Oregon, the first one is is drugs. I mean, we are decaying from the inside out because of drugs. We've become extremely permissive towards drugs, not only to drug users, it's essentially legalized hard drugs. And there's a failure of leadership to, to not talk about ballot measure 110, the measure that did that in an honest way to let people know what was going to happen because people don't, they're just living their lives every day and they're mm-hmm. taking their cues from the people that, that actually know. And the people that actually know, particularly our current attorney general, she was on the forefront of decriminalization um, of hard drugs and she, and she's sanctioned all of it. And, and she could, if she spoke up against it, we may not be here. And then the, the back, the, sort of the what that is invited in is the drug cartel is now moving in you talk to any police officer or sheriff almost all of them across the state are going to tell you that drug trafficking is out of control it's never been so hard to to hold those people to book they take over everything and when they come in like any organized crime it's like a pillar drug trafficking is a pillar for all other crimes human trafficking follows that that's a huge problem in oregon it wasn't when i left it's a huge problem in Mm -hmm. oregon Organized retail theft, you've probably heard about that. Uh, people's ca- catalytic 
converters getting stole, windows being bashed in. All of these come from people that are addicted, that are so desperate to get their fix, or mm-hmm. they're exploited for human trafficking because they're addicted and they become vulnerable. Um, or just or just the violence that follows organized general organized crime. This isn't new stuff. We we watch these mafia movies. We know what we know what's what happens. The, it's might makes right. The biggest one wins, and everybody who's on the margins or or, or vulnerable is really suffering. And that is how you describe Oregon right mm. now. So the first and foremost is is we have a real uh-huh. drug issue and we have a real crime issue. Mm. You you mentioned uh, the. We're, we're the kind of laughing stock of the nation as far as victim protection. Can you describe some of that uh, deficiency in Oregon? Yeah, so we're the number one addicted state in America. Or Portland just set a murder record. We can't, um, the violent crime is up against the state, uh, around the state. The whole country is dealing with this fentanyl crisis, and us, we don't even have any teeth to do anything about it. So. The drug cartel has, has started moving in. Uh, Honduran, Mexican, and Chinese drug cartels are now mm. becoming quite present in Oregon, um, which brings a whole lot of violence and automatic weapons and all these other things that, that aren't uh, blessing our state. Um, and um, you, on the other side of that, you're, it's never been harder for police agencies to recruit and retain people, and it's never been harder for district attorney's offices to recruit and train people. So you have greener, you have less forces with less experience trying to handle more crime than we've ever seen before. Mm. That's an easy equation. Mm. Yeah, that an equation that probably doesn't add up very good for making things uh, safer in Oregon, right? So you said attorney general's where you think you should land. What is, I mean, Eric's more uh, in politics <laughs> and all this than I am, but what does an attorney general do? I, I didn't even know. We, we have sophisticated listeners, but not always <laughs> sophisticated hosts. I mean, I, I have to say, I'm not completely sure that I even knew attorney general was an elected office. Yeah. But uh, what does an attorney general do? And, uh, you know, what kind of things would you like to see happen when you're elected? Yeah, so Attorney General does a lot of things that are important but kind of boring, and I won't spend a lot of time talking about that because they're not the parts of Oregon that are really broken. So the Attorney General, you know, is involved in a lot of land, you know, state land acquisitions, securities, consumer protection, um, suits on behalf of the state or against the state or state officers. Um, and some of those things, of course, like I say, they're, they're all extremely important, but they're not the things that are broken. Also, child dependency, when somebody's going to, a child's removed from their home, the, the, the DOJ has a whole division that, that, that looks into that and, and plays a heavy, a heavy role in that. But the thing that, you know, the, on the, the external, the front-facing thing that people think about the Attorney General most is, is the Oregon's top cop. It's like the mm, cool. it's like the center point of law enforcement, which is front and center right now. Right. And so there's lots of ways that Attorney General in influences or touches law enforcement, but probably the one that's most pertinent right now is the Attorney General's mandate to to investigate and kind of run central point on investigations around organized crime, which is drug trafficking, human trafficking, uh, organized retail theft, racketeering, all of these sorts of things. And there's just been a, a, a real failure there, but also public corruption. So I, I don't know if your listeners are aware, but we've had a sort of wave of public corruption in Oregon that we're, I used to be in Africa saying, what well, Oregon, we don't have corruption. We used to be, some days you'd be like us, we don't have corrupt officials. We don't do that. Like we're somehow, mm-hmm. you know, 
we can't be swayed by power or money. We're somehow different kinds of people, but absolute power corrupts, or, power, or, or power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. And we have a real corruption problem, and the antidote to corruption is, and traditionally always has been, is that you go to jail if you mm-hmm. are, are, are a corrupt official. And the attorney general's office plays a role in, and a strong role in investigating that, and, and, it's, and is likely their failure is part of the failures we're seeing around is that people realize there's nobody at the wheel. Um, and then the last thing is, is uh, bureaucracy. You mentioned that that attorney general's office was, you thought that wasn't even something that was elected. That's because in our, in our federal system, the attorney general sits in the president's cabinet. It's part of bureaucracy. Okay. But Oregon made this choice where we have, we have a governor and then a series of state agencies underneath the governor. And instead of having the attorney general report to the governor the, what the the way Oregon decided to do it, and I think this is a really good idea, is have it elected separate, and it runs as almost a check and ba- checks and balances mm. against the other state agencies. Mm. So state agencies each have their own administrative rules, and then they have legislative law that they're supposed to follow. But what happens if they don't? What is your what if here in your in this church if or or in your your podcast, what if the state agencies start try to, uh, excuse me, start trying to shut you down and you look at the law and you say they have no right to do that, who's supposed to hold them account? Well, it's actually the attorney general. And so, so the attorney Good general- Good to know you then. <laughs> plays a strong, right, okay. it's a, 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 yeah. a strong hall monitor role in making sure that mm. people are following the law. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. That's uh, And it does sound like that's a good structure to have it outside sort of the other- agencies so that you know, i guess that well the thing that comes you, you mentioned when talking about uh, some of the crime we don't have any teeth to mm-hmm. deal with the crime uh and then you start talking about the attorney general being the top cop my mind went towards government has the sword for a reason mm-hmm. um in scripture and it's to uh, encourage good conduct and discourage bad conduct and it's almost like uh, the way you're describing uh, how oregon has been it may be the check and balance, but we've kind of pulled our own teeth out, and we're not mm-hmm. we're not going to do any of this anymore. And one of the key functions of government is not being implemented; thus, it can't run well. Yeah, that's true. What? Uh, so we're interested in sort of the intersection between the church and um, politics or government. And so, you know, you're going you're running to be the top cop. Mm-hmm. And what is the, how would you define justice and how should Christians, you know, how should that impact Christians? How should they think about justice in the world? Justice has become, it didn't used to be 10 years ago, justice has become this hot button yes, amorphous term where I think half the churches, or maybe half, more than half the churches, actually scared of the word justice because what does that actually mean? It's kind of been hijacked. They, Social justice, and I'm not sure anybody can define what that means. It just sort of means validation of whatever I think is important or whatever I'm doing. Then you have criminal justice, which is what I where, where I come from. And okay. criminal justice is quite definable and quite ta- tangible. These are the laws. This is the penalty for breaking those laws. I'm the person that's supposed to execute those laws and execute those penalties. And, and I think from a that one's probably not too hard to understand. And okay. it's not too controversial. Like if you t- talk to most of the people of faith, they'll say, Criminal justice, well, yeah, we get that. But there's something else that's biblical justice, and mm-hmm. that is something I, I felt very connected to when I was at International Justice Mission, which is a, is a, is a Christian organization right. at its foundation. And we were working on behalf of criminal justice, but because we believed in biblical justice. And, and mm. biblical justice isn't my job. 
Biblical justice is our job. And, okay. and, in, and repeatedly in the Bible, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, there's this call for biblical justice, and that is to make things right. And it's usually in, in to, and to bring balance and, and peace and order. And it's usually on behalf of people who cannot do that for themselves, on the behalf mm-hmm. of, the, mm. of the vulnerable. I should, you'd expect more out of a lawyer, but I should just start reeling off verses that, that I could probably quickly look up and, and give you. But, you know, like, the two that really sta- stand out, um, if, you're, if your listeners have a Bible handy on their okay. phone, is, is, is Isaiah 117. I think that's right. And so that's where Isaiah, you know, is saying, is if, if before 17, there's, there's, there's this like, I, more or less the prophet Isaiah is saying, God isn't hearing your prayers. They're not hearing your your pleas because God is not pleased with the way you're treating the least of these. Like okay. it says, seek justice, and it, it says, defend the the widows, stand up for the orphans, um, seek out righteousness. I, I've got it, it mm-hmm. out of order, but okay. it's it's the backstop of I can't hear your cries right now because you don't hear the cries of the of the people who need mm-hmm. have needs around you. And then Jesus, and I think it's in like let's say Luke twenty three twenty three or something like that. There's this. In, in that, it might be 21, 21, I'm sure, again, a lawyer should know more, but <laughs> but, G, but Jesus is, is saying, woe to the Pharisees, woe to the Pharisees. One, it's, a, it's, it's almost like from a legal perspective, it's like a closing argument. Whoa, 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 you, you say this, you do this, you say this, you do this. And at the end, he says, woe to you Pharisees who, who uh, tithe down to the cumin and the dill, like down to the, the tiniest cent you make sure you tithe but you ignore the weightier provisions of, of the law, which are justice, mercy, mm. and I think righteousness or, mm-hmm. or something like that. But then there's justice. And so like there's this biblical call to justice. And most of the time what I see when you see in, in justice is protecting those who can't protect themselves from mm. violence, exploitation, and, and economic harm. But you guys are... Mm. are are much more my senior in in that area. Um, so, you say justice. What are we talking about? Are we talking about social justice? I'm not the expert. If you're talking about criminal justice, I am an expert. But I, I, I but when it comes to biblical justice, it's what fuels me. It's what it what it's what makes me passionate. Um, mm. Because I think it's at the heart of it is the second of the greatest commandments right. is to love your mm. neighbor, and you can't do that and watch them suffer. Mm. Well, well even, even that distinction. <clears throat> I could see the, yeah, we're really good at keeping criminal justice, um, kind of like the Pharisees were doing with the mint, the mint and the cumin <laughs> and the whatever, um, but ignoring the biblical justice in my relationship with my neighbor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, like you said, I don't hear their cries. I don't care. And that would be a way of, yeah, I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't break any laws, mm-hmm. but you're not fulfilling justice. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- those two just came together, as you said yeah, that. Well put. And and it's helpful. It's helpful to have even for you to separate it into three categories like that because you know even my question just said justice. Like here's a blob of justice, mm-hmm. and to have it, you know, in separate categories is very helpful. So I appreciate that. Um, so yeah, I'm. Um, you're running for uh, office in the government, and is the is the best thing that Christians can do, say, to vote for um, an attorney general who's going to uphold the rule of law, or are there other justice-related things that the average Christian could do? You know, what does it look like for me as a Christian to be concerned about justice? You know, <laughs> I think, I think, um, I, I actually feel a little intimidated to talk in front of 
Uh, oh, with, no, don't be. With, uh, with, we're, we're learning here, too, so, so that's so, all good. So I'm going to preface this with a hard opinion, or I think. But okay. I think that the, there's this um, inner intertwining of, of action and prayer. Like we, we are praying to God for, for right things, for justice, for right leaders, for, for healing of Oregon spiritually, physically and emotionally and and praying for over addiction and praying over like there's all that i also think in my own life i have always had this like call of the spirit to be like okay yeah i i get it you're now do something i've given you these Mm. talents and this ability to go to go do something about it my thing to do is the things we've already described god right and so i'm one of those lucky people that gets paid to do what god commands us to do like like i mm. should be doing this with my my skill set whether somebody pays me or not but not everybody has a skill set of a prosecutor right um it's, it is a very it is kind of a, a very narrow niche thankfully that would be kind of a rough <laughs> situation would, yeah. if everyone was prosecutors yes it wouldn't it would, <laughs> it be it wouldn't be a fun dinner party so the, the, um, <laughs> not at all <laughs> yeah so so i think i think there's this inner like we all need to be praying over this my election all elections um that god will bring people that that um have his passion for justice his passion for love um it's also is love with accountability um but i i think that that if you're asking what people can do on the day-to-day basis i mean biblical justice isn't criminal i've made that distinction because it's not the same criminal justice it can be biblical justice, but biblical justice exists whether criminal justice is there or not. Mm. And there's this role of of everybody in the church finding whatever skill set they have and the time and the resources they have to be leaning into the problem, to be helping people with addiction, to um, be be focused on the homeless solutions that work, not the mm. homeless solutions that solutions that create dependency or or that just give you good feelings that you think you're doing something, but, but homeless solutions that work, um, to be, you know, I, I'm going to stop to tell you the truth is that of all those years prosecuting, you know, well over a hundred jury trials I tried. And so many times I cried, I, I called children that were under the age, were prepubescent children under the age of 12 or 13 children to the stand to testify in front of a jury about mm. the worst thing that you could ever imagine. Mm. And so many times there was one, the, 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 the court divides like a junior high, high school hallway. Like the defendant has all of his friends and family, the accused have all their friends and family on one side of the, the courtroom and the, the victim okay. has all their friends and family on the other side of the courtroom so the jury can see who the community supports. In 80% of the time or more, I, had, I called up victims to testify and there was one person at most sitting well mm-hmm. on their side of the, the aisle and that was the person that was hired by the district attorney's office to sit with them. And most times the defendant would, and the accused would come with their own friends and family. And so we have this like imbalance, like people don't like to engage with victims. It's scary, it's messy. They themselves, because they're victimized, often are drug users, they're overweight, they're promiscuous, they don't know how to act, they don't have boundaries. And it's not because they're, it's because of what's been done, the sin that's been done to them has mm-hmm. left them broken. So the church has, there's so many entry points, I couldn't name them all in what we would call biblical justice, but um, I, I just wouldn't expect all of them to try to do what I, I'm doing. Well, it I'm, sounds like you've, you know, you just even identified a like the smallest little thing to mm-hmm. sit with somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, they really see, I, I don't, that's not what I think of. That's kind of why I wanted to have this conversation is because I think of, I think of it being more heroic. Like mm-hmm. let's, you know, let's change Oregon. Let's, mm-hmm. you know, be Oregon's top cop or something, but 
to just sit with somebody in you know who's been victimized mm-hmm. or listen or come alongside. I mean, there are probably little practical things like that that people can find everywhere mm-hmm. that are um, that don't seem heroic, that don't seem like I'm changing the world. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think there's a lot of Christianity that gets done that way. Yeah. And the church has been over the, I mean, if you go back for, uh, you know, hundreds of years, the church has been amazing at that over the years. And the world would miss the church if the church was not doing that, I think. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, thank you for that. Because I, yeah, I'm just thinking about the big things, but you're kind of pushing me for little things. Any other ideas for, you know, listeners that are just average, like don't have the special skill set that are um, trying to figure out, okay, how can I you have, do this? I like that you call this to pray. Yeah. So that, I mean, we want to call listeners to pray all the time. So thank you for that. Yeah. Anyway, anything else? I mean, it's it's the forces of sin, the forces of, of darkness that are driving the 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 injustice around us and so it, it we can't we can't pretend like there isn't something spiritual happening mm-hmm. around us and so if we're apathetic and we're just saying oh, we can elect this person maybe they'll clean up this city that's not that's not mm-hmm. gonna that is not the core of the issue mm-hmm. so that's just a point on the prayer you know i'm top of the mind um foster care if people have that ability to to um casa something called casa mm-hmm. c-a-s-a you can sort of you don't have to have special training you just you just help children that are trapped in the court system um that don't really have somebody to stand up for themselves and you'd be be their voice and it's not not that you know like casa has all of this ability to change and they can't get enough volunteers to mm. even even represent a fraction of the cases mm. in children in, wow. in oregon um, those those come to mind. Um, you know, there's like I say, there's right now there's there's this war between low barrier shelters and high. You guys know that low barrier shelters, high barrier shelters. Well, what what next? Well, explain it. Yeah. So your low your low barrier sh- barrier shelters shelters for homeless people is like a place you can come, you can stay, you can still do your drugs, you can still commit crimes, you can okay. still victimize people, and you're not going to get kicked out. And, the, and there's the, <laughs> the idea being that you know, and I don't. I think it's I think it comes out of goodwill, but the idea being like, well, if you have expectations for people coming in, they might not come in, and they're better inside and indoors than they are on the outside, and so it's a way of getting people to come into some sort of shelter. Or low barrier, low barrier. So, so we had this like drastic swing to the popular world, word in Portland, particularly and Eugene, is low barrier, barrier shelters. Shelters. Well, the problem with that is there's, there's never any change. Like they right. just, it's just the same dysfunctional and self harm and public harm. It's just now happening indoors, and and the heart hasn't changed, the mind hasn't changed, the emotions have nothing's been cured or healed. And then you have high barrier shelters. A good example of that would be like the Union Gospel Mission. And mm-hmm. there's going to be a requirement that you're going to uh, take a shit. I don't. I actually don't know what they are, but they're, mm-hmm. they're going to. You're going to have to clean up your your area. You're going to have to take a drug test. You're going to attend you some meetings. Attend some meetings yeah. and those sorts of things. And I think that there's these high barrier shelters. This war going on. There's high barrier shelters. They always need help. They they always mm-hmm. need help in some way. You can donate clothes. You can donate food. You can go down and 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 volunteer. And you're it, it, that's a, that's on the janitor side, but you know justice starts on the front end. Like, do you guys do you have a boys and girls club in your neighborhood? Do you mm. have, like, h- how are you going to? There's vulnerable at risk children that haven't been victimized yet, and and you know proactive justice is mm. 
supporting those families and those children before they even get into the place where guys like me are involved in the first place. And so the spectrum is so vast, I couldn't name all of them, but it usually means not coming home and binge watching whatever Mm. on whatever or (laughs) spending all your time on social media and doing something that's kind of, that's your right to say heroic is like, I don't look at my job as heroic. I look at my job as like a grind, a hard emotional mm. grind. And no matter one of the, no, everything I just mentioned, if you show up going like, I'm going to feel really good about myself and it's going to change immediately, <laughs> you will fail. <laughs> you're going to feel bad about yourself and it's going to take forever and you're going to see tiny victories and baby steps along the way. Mm. Um, and if people come with the attitude of this is a, this is a, this is a cross to bear and it's a servanthood. Mm. Um, they can have a lot of impact, but if you come with the idea that you can spend an hour a week and change the world and yeah. and feel good about yourself, I love right. that. Yes, yeah, it's not going to be. You're One, not going to be useful. And mm. justice is not about you. It's about your neighbor. Yeah, it's not about mm. you. And I, I just want to underscore it for the listeners the the simplicity of the action that you described, whether it's sitting with someone or showing up and and donating something or helping or whatever. All of that, we, we talk a lot about or being praying. ambassadors of the kingdom mm-hmm. and, and praying. We, we are, one, praying to the king uh, who is just and merciful. And as we do those little actions, even if we don't see a lot, we are participating as um, ambassadors of the God who's just and merciful. And I, right. I just, I'm picturing sitting next to that person that has no one, and that's just such an act of mercy mm-hmm. and, and justice. Um, because we belong to the king. So I, I just want listeners to hear that those things are easy. Uh, and they're sim- simple. They're not necessarily yeah. easy. Yeah, I was say, yeah. um, and they can be done. And it's you don't have to have the prosecutor skills. You no. can have very uh, different skills, and you can yeah. do those things. Are you a parent? Are you a friend? Do you have mm-hmm. relationships? That's what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah, thank you for that. So yeah. you're, um, you, I, I mentioned this before we started recording, but you're the second candidate that we've interviewed here, Eric was the first. And so, um, you know, you're in the throes of getting uh, things going and um, uh, anticipating uh, running a campaign and all these things. What, uh, you know, what can our listeners do or how could they help or how could they find you? Tell us a little bit about your campaign plans. How's that? Yeah, so if you, the, the easy answer on that one is if you want to learn more about me and my campaign and how you can join, go to my website at willlathrop.com. That's just W-I-L-L-L-A-T-H-R-O-P.com. My name.com, willlathrop.com. And there you can donate. Like it's, it's interesting. The last thing I want to come on your, your show is, is call for money, but the, um, politics are largely about resources and about Mm -hmm. how people support you. Not just how much, like hundreds of thousands of dollars, but about how many, because the more people you have, giving $10, $15, $5, you, you know this already. I'm then, just shaking then, my head over here. <laughs> then, somebody, then somebody else who, who has lots of money says, hey, there's something happening there. There's a movement started. Like people people vote with their money first bef- before you ever get to an election. Okay. So so you can also subscribe to a newsletter or you can just find ways to volunteer. Um, but but as far as my campaign and, and, and where we're at right now is that um, the fi- official filing date starts on September 14th. Okay. There's some di- there's some discussion about I would say speculate. There's a lot of speculation running around whether the incumbent Ellen Rosenblum will run again. I think most of the rumors suggest that she's not. We won't know until she. Um, if Ellen's listening to this, I would be surprised. But if <laughs> okay. she is, Ellen, let people know so that the the rest of us can figure that out. But um, uh, the yeah, I, I don't yeah that that's that's pretty much it. So what I'm doing right now is. Uh, 
going around and meeting with as many people as I can, ta- talking about my, my story. Uh, I have, uh, as I told you, Scott, I have this desire to really plug in, not pl- plug into the, to the church to exploit the church. Like, sure. I'm a Christian, vote for me. Aren't you a Christian? Right. Christians vote mm-hmm. for each other. I think that, that I think that is the opposite of of what I want. What I I want God to to appoint and anoint the right person for this role. And I have this for whatever reason I'm here and I feel called to be here. But I want I, I have this desire to to see the church start to unite in prayer across denominational lines. Uh, there's there's a few issues that really divide churches right now. Mm-hmm. If we could ignore those issues just for a second and pray together about the other things that the 95% of things that don't divide us. I think there's real power in that. And, you know, Jesus says himself that like a, a, a power divided against itself mm-hmm. will fall. Mm-hmm. And I think we have, we are experiencing that as the American church right now. We're, mm-hmm. we're, we're experiencing division and that division has led to a lack of of power. And I'm not talking, you yes. guys know, I'm not talking about political power, numerical power. Mm, yes. And that's kind of one power. of the reasons we started this podcast mm-hmm. is because we sense the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, it would be a huge victory to me if the, all that came out of my candidacy is that uh, Christians across the Oregon started uni- uh, uni- unifying in, in common prayer mm. over candidates and for candidates. Um, yeah. So I have a desire to, to connect with people over over prayer, and I will just to your listeners. I I'll, I'll meet with any group or go anywhere. This is my job now. So I'm mm. I'm telling my story, and talking about how I can I can impact working in a positive way. Okay, well we'll uh, put in the show notes how they can get in touch with you and find out about your campaign. But Eric, since you've been down this road before, maybe you could uh, close out by praying for Will. How's oh that? yeah, Wonderful. glad to. Lord, thank you uh, for Will, and thank you one thank you for being a just and good king and uh, putting the desire for justice and mercy in uh, Christian's hearts and specifically Will's heart. And I pray you would allow his campaign to be uh, one that points to a good king and that uh, you would make yourself look good through uh, his work. And I pray there, there would be justice that happens that um, uh, the, the good work of, of righteousness and um, government, government would be, would be good. And uh, we pray that, as he campaigns and as he uh, talks with people, that um, those would be good interactions and you give him encouragement and give him endurance. There's just a lot of work that has to be done. And I pray you give him help in this and uh, make yourself look good through him and what he's doing. Amen. 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 Well, we'll put uh, some more things in the show notes, like the uh, other little actions we can do. And um, for everyone else, uh, if you're listening, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and rate us. If you find what we're doing helpful, a review goes a long way to getting this to other people. Share it with a friend. If you have questions, send them to comment at cityonahillpodcast.com. And we look forward to the next conversation.